So here we are back again, Ski Rex Media Podcast, every Wednesday, as you know. And again, we're going to go into the whole educational side of it. Again, you know, I talk to anybody. I talk to everybody because I don't know what I'm talking about. I never have, never do. Why be arrogant and pretend? So we're going to talk to another person who runs a mountain and a very interesting mountain at that. Um, first, we're going to talk about the mountain that I am partnered with currently. That is Whaleback Mountain, also in New Hampshire, Enfield, New Hampshire. Exit 16, right off of I-89. I love the place. Um, you, now, some people would say, Tim, don't you feel a little weird doing that in front of Tim Smith? Talk about it. I'm like, nah, dude, he knows John, too. He does. Absolutely. See, Absolutely. he knows him. <laughs> so, Whaleback's a great spot. Get out there and enjoy it. See, there you go. No competitive nonsense. We're all friends here. Whaleback is awesome. They have everything you want in a small package. You want steeps, they got steeps. You want groomed, they got groomed. You want natural, they got natural. They'll teach you how to do it. They'll rent you the stuff to do it. It is right there. There's nothing going on in that exit. So, yes, there's other businesses, but please, the, the, the Whaleback is the game right there and that's where i go and it's a lot of fun in the summer to whaleback mountain ski it to believe it also in new hampshire that's right the vermont boy is working with new hampshire folks saint custom skis and snowboards up there in gorham new hampshire how custom you want it you want custom length you want custom width you want custom graphics with swear words and naughty pictures kj and kevin will put whatever you want on it and they'll build it to the exact specifications you give them I came to them with something. They said, not only can we do that, we could do this. And it's still kind of a surprise because I think a lot of people are going to hate on my pair when I get them. But you know what? They're metal. I've shown off the graphics. It looks like something off a some hair metal uh, CD from back in the 80s or album, depending on what you use back then. St. Custom Skis and Snowboards. Links to Whaleback and St. Custom Skis in the description. Go ahead. Check them out if you need skis and a place to use them or a snowboard and a place to use them. Now that I've done all that, let's get to our guest, Tim Smith. Tim, how you doing? Two Tims. Doing fantastic, man. I, I do want to say one more shout out to Whaleback. They are a nonprofit, so that it really is a great cause to go out there and, and ski there, spend your money there. You know, the, it's a it's a really great ski resort. They do a really good job up there, and it's a it's a it's a it's a great operation. Of course, I want you at Waterville, but <laughs> there's plenty of skiing to go around. Absolutely. There's a ton of skiing to go around and I do love Whaleback, but I really love Waterville too. I got my, um, excuse me. I had my first experience up there last season due to the Indy Pass. Very wonderful. Um, I, I assume you all love the Indy Pass over there. Absolutely. Indy Pass has been a great partner. We're on year three now. Uh, mm -hmm. the things Doug Fish has been able to do for our industry, keeping all of, all of the, uh, the, the smaller guys, the ones that are non-corporate, the ones that have that real core feel to them keeping them on the on the front of the news and uh giving us some some good shout outs it's people like you though that you know experience that experience that you get from an indie mountain it's quite different than the corporate mountains and we're super proud to be partnered with them 100 dude i i love the indie mountains i do i mean i'll ski the corporate guys too i have you know whatever but you will find me more often than not like i don't go over to the place with the k very often i just don't I go to Waterville, I go to Whaleback, I go to the Skiway. I was at Ski Bay, Skiway a couple weeks ago. Um, and New Hampshire has a ton of great places on the Indy Pass, but Waterville is what we're here to talk about today. And we're going to talk about to Tim Smith. We're going to ask him how he got to where he is. Now, we brought up John Hunt and Whaleback. He, had, he didn't know anything about a ski mountain, and yet he's there running one. It happens more often than you think. Tim, is that how you got into it or no? Absolutely not. 
No, okay. my, <laughs> my family, I was born and bred in the ski industry. My dad was a ski patrol director. My uncle was a, a designer for Winter Park, Colorado. Uh, nice. My grandfather cut the, cut the trees of my hometown ski resort. My great-grandmother uh, remembers skiing down on barrel stays down a, a former ski resort called Sugarloaf in, in northern Michigan. So it's in my blood. It absolutely is in my blood. And I ended up going to school for it. Got a degree in ski area business management. Big shout out to all the Sams out there from Gogebic nice. Community College in Northern Michigan. And then I went to, on to Northern Michigan University, got my bachelor's degree uh, and worked throughout the industry for the big corporates all the way down to the tiny 501c3s and uh, started nice. two small ski resorts in the Midwest and then moved my way east. I uh, was recruited by Peak Resorts, worked for them for quite a while at Crotch and Mount- Mountain. Shout out to all my Crotch and Mountain guys. Um, and then I was brought up here by uh, Chris Aninu to help operate this facility. When And then he promoted me about six months later to general manager. And then when he became governor, I got the uh, promotion to president. Wow. <laughs> That's a career, yeah, man. Well, there, there it is. Wow. So you have literally, you you were a kid. And like he said, he was born into it. That's, you're on like fifth generation, dude. What is that like? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, the coolest thing was is when I was able to hire my uncle, and nice. uh, he actually became our our uh, planner for the mountain, yeah. and he currently is the one working on all of our development plans. And he did the development plans for Winter Park, Colorado, in his younger days. And it's just so cool to be able to work directly with my uncle, um, and have it in the family and and the visions and everything that we have about the resort kind of you know come together. And then we can eloquently put that put that across to the Forest Service and to our third party uh, 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 planning group that we use. And being able to to use that together, but keeping it in the family is really cool. Uh, the other part about the family part of it is my 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 wife runs the accounting, so this is truly a mom pa ski resort. Wow, holy Just, smokes! So she runs all the money, so I can't go crazy with it. And nah. then we work for the Sununus, you know, the Sununu family, and that that entire family aspect of it is one of the coolest parts about my job, I would say. That and that is a, I mean, who knew? Like I knew the Sununu family was the part of the mountain. I knew that their 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 name is on the deed, I believe, and um, that's a name where people hear it, they recognize it either as governor. And I did when I lived in uh, New Hampshire when I first got back east. I voted for Chris Sununu. I won't lie about it. Um, but the last place I heard the Sununu name was when I was a little kid. People watching Murphy Brown. It was always a bit back in the day. Um, what's it like to be? Do you ever get ribbed for working for politicians? Like, is that a thing? I don't even know. No, no not really. I mean, it's church and state. You know, they, they really, they don't bring politics here. I don't bring politics there. I concentrate on what I do. They concentrate on what they do. Um, the big thing is that I work directly for John H., um, the mm-hmm. Chris father. And it, it's really, really cool to work for somebody that's that intelligent, that sure. quick-witted. You know, the ability for him to analyze a problem and help me, you know, figure out what to do, how to move next is is really, really awesome. Um, but I also, you know, I consult with the entire family. Uh, James Sununu, Chris's brother, Michael Sununu, Chris's other brother. They're all very they're all very in touch with what we're doing here. Um, and it's really great to be able to have that sounding board and, uh, you know, the longevity that they have with the resort, uh, being able to have that for me to, to reference back to and, and development plans are really their development plans. You know, we pitch stuff, sure. but they're the ones really driving the ship. So that's awesome, man. Like it, it is an interesting 
uh, it's interesting when a mountain stays in a family or becomes part of a family. Like we could talk about Bolton, you know, the Deloriers had it, then sold it, then come back to it. So you you really can't get away from it. And now the Sununus haven't ever been there. And if I'm not mistaken, John H. was the one who spoke at the lift opening last month, right? Yeah, that was awesome. It was great to get him back out in front of a microphone. Dude, I could, he was awesome. Like, I, I've said that to people. I was like, man, what a character, dude. He he just owned the whole thing. Like, no one cared about Tim being there anymore. No one cared about the two or three other people that were speaking anymore. He just owned it, dude. What an awesome person. That was so yeah. cool. Yeah, it was. And it was awesome to have him there, not only for that, but also for the support for me sure. to have him there during, you know, during what turned out to be pretty trying, just trying to get the lift open. It's a huge lift, a massive undertaking. First day is never going to go smoothly. Um, so we ended up having to postpone opening. I think it was almost two hours long and we were, you know, we were working hard to get that lift open and we got it open and then we had a bunch of stops on it and it hold on time out. You're gone. You're gone. <laughs> Why are you gone? <laughs> what, what happened? <laughs> what happened? Why is he muted? And now he's back. No, he's not. Now he's not. Okay, hold on. <laughs> the question is, is if I can fix it, will I keep it in? Okay, wait, hold on. Am I back? Yeah, you are. You figured it out. For some reason, my phone took over my mic. Ah. I am going to turn that off. That All right, happen. cool. I apologize. Where no, were that's we? cool, man. Uh, let's see. We were talking about John and the lift. Ah, yes. The trying day of the lift opening, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. cool because I do want to get into that too. So you want me to start off from, from John speaking? Uh, well, no, that's it? all right. I think we can, I think we can go. And you know what? I'm going to leave it in. I'm real. <laughs> uh, that's right. fine. These things happen, dude. I'm good, it's man. okay. Um, no worry. Yeah. So we were saying that John was awesome and then we were talking about the lift and one of the things I wanted to talk about was that I, I was there, I was at ground level, met a whole bunch of people from Waterville, and that was a lot of fun. It was really great. Yeah. And the thing that I saw, I mean, if we start at the beginning, yes, it was a two-hour delay. Things happened, day one. But the fans never really went away. They stood there in that line. Did you notice that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's the Waterville way, right? I mean, we're a big yeah. family here. We understand things are going to happen. You know, the the... <laughs> Any lift, I don't care if it's a, a fixed grip quad or a fixed grip double or all the way up to these new eight packs, any sure. new lift you're going to have some issues with. And, you know, we started to experience them that day. And it's, I just, I describe it like breaking in a stallion, right? Sure. Like you, you got to take some time. You got to break it in you, and she's going to buck. She's going to whine. She's going to, you know, show you new tricks that you've never seen, seen before. And that's that's what you go through with a new chairlift. And you're going to see this yeah. across the entire industry. We've put in the most lifts since, I think, uh, 98. We put the most lifts in in North America wow. since 1998 this year. And you'll see that at pretty much every lift you go to, they've, they're going to have a bit of a trying time. So to everybody who's out and excited about the lifts, you know, just be patient. It, some days are going to be better than others. Other days are going to be a little harder. You know, it's, it's just you, you learn new things every day. For instance, our wind. We designed this this uh, lift to be highly wind resistant, and mm -hmm. our wind, you know, from at Waterville has always been north northwest. We call it the no no Waterville wind. And when we get a <laughs> north northwest wind, we have a hard time running the old White Peaks lift. However, 
and it's only at about 40 miles an hour. However, once we get up to, once we got the new lift running, we experienced a completely different wind, a Southeast wind, totally weird wind here. We don't see Southeast winds, but it was, it was during a storm and the wind came straight up the lift line and started catching the chairs at a different different uh, uh, air aspect than we've experienced before and started swinging the lift a little bit left and right. And so we went down, looked at the lift, evaluated the, the, the sway and said, you know, I'm not comfortable. Let's slow the lift down. So we slowed it from four meters per second down to, down to two meters per second, sure. straight right out. Lift was huh. completely silent. So then we were able to start moving that lift speed up just a little bit. And we got it up to about 3.5 meters per second and we stopped there. So it was only half a meter per second less, hmm. but that allowed the lift to calm down. Really cool because we can do that now with this new lift. Before it used to be, well, it's either off or it's on. Now we oh. have the ability to throttle it up or throttle it down depending on the conditions, um, you know, bubbles up, bubbles down, all those types of things give us these operational uh, ability to change for the circumstance that we're under. It, that's that's incredible what a piece of technology like it looks like something out of the future i i hadn't seen it like i mean i saw the pictures and stuff social media whatever but you get there and you're looking at it and it's like wow this thing is incredible like it's this it, it just looks massive and futuristic and it's and it's great and now it can do cool things and the people were so ready for it. i'll tell you what we'll get into some of the issues but when people were waiting you know, there was a line. There were people I was talking to them like, we want to be first. I'm like, well, you're not going to be first. I know who's going to be first already. Like I already knew, but you'll be second. So that's cool. Um, but, you know, you and now I think it was you. You announced like this is so New England ski. Like this is how this is how it works here. Um, it felt very stereotypical, but it was funny because I think Tim, he announced it. Yeah, we got about, oh, whatever it was, 45 minutes, an hour before we could actually go. Everybody jumped from the line. To the other lift went and took runs and then ran back to get back in line like it was ridiculous I, I don't know if you got to see that happen oh yeah absolutely absolutely we're playing games we knew that the, we knew that there could be some issues it's opening day right i mean sure so we had trivia games going we had mm -hmm. hot chocolate going we had you know i was trying to crack jokes and answer questions about the lift and there I mean, it was great i mean people were responding to that really wonderfully the, mm -hmm. the you know the crowd yeah they took off for about 45 minutes to an hour they all came back we had great conversations and that early in the year i mean the people that are skiing that early in the year are going to be the hardcore fans of the resorts that they're going to and it was great having all of those people there for that opening day if you remember i got my buddy mav uh up there with me a six-year-old yep. from the local school and it was it was pretty cool to have somebody from the last chair of the white peaks on the same chair as this little kid you know maverick uh taking the first chair up with me who's going to be here for you know as long as this lift is around so yeah pretty totally. cool to pass on generationally through the the waterville Gal valley community yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun, dude. Like, everybody came together. And it didn't seem to bother anybody that they had to wait. Um, everybody got to check out that massive monster truck you all have. That thing's incredible. I, I was, like, poking around at it. Like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. But it was a great lift. And the only... Now, again, I... I'll be honest, I only got one run in off the lift because I wasn't ready. I'm not going to lie. You can't ski yourself into shape. I know that. And yet I tried to do it anyway. Um... But the only thing I saw with it, like there were a couple stops and that it is what it is. We've all been on stops before, but the bubbles themselves were not auto popping up. Was that like the only real problem that day or was there 
multitude uh, of we things. We had some cadencing issues. So cadencing is the spacing between the chairs okay. and how that's regulated. So the chair comes off the line and sure. then it gets put back on the line because it's attachable. And when it comes back on the line, it needs to be put back in a, in a very specific spot. Okay. And if that cadencing, for some reason, doesn't work quite right, you can hit a stop. So that was happening a little bit. The bubbles were unfortunate. The The bubbles, you know, we didn't have the auto close. We still don't have the auto close on right now. Um, we're, we're still playing around with some of the adjustments on the auto open, auto close. The bubbles were, some of them were a bit loose. Some of them were a bit tight. So we adjusted those. They're all working great. Um, they, they do open, they do close. We just don't have it on right now because we haven't needed it. Sure. So we haven't put it, we haven't put it on. There's really for the windy days when you want to auto close the bubbles. Uh, so anyways, the, the little things, little tweaks here and there, the biggest thing that we've learned about the lift though, is the technology. We have a Nedic design safety system on this where you can see everything. For instance, you know, I've been a lift mechanic for a very long time. And when I first sure. learned about how to test a gearbox for being too hot, it was put mm-hmm. your hand on top of the gearbox. If you can leave it there for three seconds, you're good. Um, and old school style, old cool style, right? You do a motor room check, you put your hand on the gearbox and that's, and so at one awesome. point, I think it was about maybe two weeks ago. Now we had a gearbox fault come up and it said thermal thermal overload switch. And I said, gearbox thermal overload switch. It sounds like something that might run the motor or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm up there hunting around trying to figure it out. And then we get a stop and the stop is a uh, gearbox over temp. And I looked and I'm looking around, I go, oh yeah, gearbox is a little warm, did my hand test. Yep. And I was like, thermal switch, that probably has to do with the motor. I traced the motor back and I found a switch that was tripped and I tripped it back on. Uh, coolant starts going back through the gearbox. We're all good to go. Go back down to the bottom. I hit reset. And then in the computer screen, I started tracing back the thermal switch and the thermal switch trip that had happened about 30 minutes before. And I found a screen on there that shows me exactly the temperature of the gearbox if oh, the wow. motor is running if the motor thermal switch gets kicked off it also t- it tells you all of the all of the details that as a lift mechanic you just drool over so it's so cool <laughs> that i could see it right there so now when i walk into the lift shack i just hit this button and i can see oh there's the okay it looks like the gearbox is running at temp- oh and it's it's also logging it so i can see on the log i can actually see wow. what the temperature has been it's so cool so many little things like that that just geek me out about this lift i can imagine like it's a it's a it's half a robot and (laughs) you can almost expect the thing to stand up and just walk away if you know that's how you put it away for the night it gets up and it walks away it's very cool it is unique now this is something i wanted to ask you i had you here because this is something i was unclear on what makes this unique this lift because i've ridden sixes i've seen sixes why is this one unique so this one's actually a Bartholet manufactured lift distributed by MND Ropeways okay. out of France. MND Ropeways has been a great partner of ours. We bought a bunch of their snow guns. Uh, the the conveyors that we have are MND conveyors. The T bar at the top is an MND uh, uh, T bar. So they're a trusted distributor of many different parts. They they do everything from uh, Fun Tech, which is all of your your zip lines and all that kind of stuff, all the way to uh, uh, the signage. You know, just the the little signage that you see around uh, around here, the green unique signage that we have that says Waterville Valley on the side of it. Sure. All of that event fencing, that's all di- done by by M and D Safety. Really cool product lines. They do all sorts of stuff. The only thing they don't touch is really groomers. Uh, but they partnered with Barthollet to distribute Barthollet 
uh, detachable chairlifts. Bartholet's been around since I believe the 1950s or or 40s, maybe even. And they've been deli- they've been doing chairlifts for a very long time. They have chairlifts all over the world, but they've never had one in North America. Got so it. we're officially the first North American Bartholet MND chairlift. The cool thing about this is Bartholet is a Swiss company and it's really Swiss engineering. That's why when you look at our chairlift, it looks different. Um, you can see the little differences. And if you're a lift mechanic or anyone that really gets into lifts, you'll notice all these little differences. The The axles have multiple grease points that allow you to get the grease exactly where the axle needs the grease at. It's got a uh, very, very high tension. The rope is absolutely massive. When we were splicing it, this splicer that came over from Italy said, oh, you're building a gondola, right? No, nope, <laughs> not a gondola. This is a six-pack. <laughs> Biggest rope I've ever seen on a six-pack. And I go, yep, <laughs> we're reducing the wind uh, because yeah. we had this super high tension on it. Uh, and anyhow, so we we wanted to be very specific with this lift. I went over to France twice to look at different lifts talked to the the operator of Val Torrens who runs 82 of the 184 lifts of the three valleys and we talked a lot about the differences in the lift manufacturers and you know all of that and we we worked with the other lift manufacturers which are great also um no knocks on any lift manufacturer it's a tough gig and every lift manufacturer has different niches that they fit into and we just felt Bartholet and MND really fit this niche for this lift it was very specific engineering they ended up putting their the the bubbles through the, the wind tunnels to test how much wind resistance they could actually sustain. They put heavy loading on all the shiv trains, super high tension, moved the drive terminal to the bottom, a bunch of stuff to try to make it more wind resistant. The carriers are the heaviest six-pack carrier there is in existence uh, to help reduce the amount of sway in the wind. Uh, I mentioned the towers, the tower spacing. We used to have 20... 20 six towers on white peaks quad we now have 13 towers on the six pack and that's to make sure that everything's heavily weighted and these big spans make heavily weighted on all of those shift trains so when the rope goes through the shift train the rope stops twisting with the wind and it calms it down so a lot of high-tech engineering swiss engineering went into this lift and um you know i i think we did the right call there and the years of uh research and and development that I put into uh, uh, making sure that we bought the right lift for the right spot, I think will pay off. I, I think you're right. Dude, just from how you've been talking about it, I think you sold this to non-skiers and riders. Like, you're going to have local engineers who are just be like, dude, I just want to go look at the lift. Like, I've never skied a day in my life, but I want to go poke around. It's oh, very absolutely. cool. I mean, it really is a Euro sports car of a lift. It's a limousine chair. You sit in it. It is nice. The seats were designed by Porsche, I think. Was that you yep. guys? Yep. Yeah, that's Porsche Design Studios. That's uh, Bartholet M&D Partner. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 it's fancy, and I enjoyed it. It was it was trucking the day I was there, and, you know, I, I assume it's safe. So, you know, we've talked about the issues, but it is safe. Let's just say it's that. It's amazingly safe. I mean, the amount of of safety controls that we have on this, the Nedic design safety controls is absolutely phenomenal. Um, for instance, the the uh, uh, each tower is monitored by brittle bars and rope detection devices. The rope detection devices can exactly tell you where that rope is tracking on sure. the shiv. And then all of these breaker, these uh, brittle bars track each pair section all the way through. So there's, I, I want to say one of the towers has something like, I want to say it's 14 different safety protect protections just on the tower. 
All wow. of those are wired into what's called a smart box. Each one of those smart boxes then transmits their signal down into the into the DDS that's down at the bottom of the the drive terminal, which then transmits that back to the computer. So all of this stuff is driven like by the the most technological, uh, fanciest equipment. And actually, the the issues that we're having most of the time is just us not understanding what the computer is trying to do, because sure. we're going back to like putting our hand on the gearbox. And this thing's like, you know, driving a, a Ferrari down the street. So we just sure. got to figure out how to how to drive that Ferrari. Man, that's very, that's ridiculous. The, the, the thing's a robot, and soon you're not even going to need lifties. I feel bad. You know what? If you go to Europe, they don't have them. <laughs> what? How can you get oh, rid yeah. of lifties? Val, Valtorin's France said the, uh, uh, has a gondola that is fully operatorless. It's all done electronically. Now, sure, there's a camera that watches over everything, and there's someone behind the camera, but they don't have operators. I I can't even imagine that. Like the lifty is such a mainstay. That's like your first contact point when you get there. I mean, okay, you go to the ticket window, but who knows what's going on that day? The lifties, they're there to greet you. They say hello. Yeah, then we'll never get rid of the lift operators. The lift operators. It's really interesting also to understand the difference between a lift operator and a lift attendant. If you read the ANSI code book, the lift operator is actually the person when it was written, it was the person that was driving the lift. <laughs> so when you're driving the lift back in the day, it used to be the guy that was in the, in the Model T truck with his foot on the clutch. <laughs> and the attendant was the one that was at the bottom loading everyone on the T-bar. And if there was a problem, the attendant waved their arm and the operator stopped the lift. That's how it used to work. See, that's a great history lesson because I didn't know that. Like, I didn't realize the lift operator moniker was literal and has yeah. been for, up, God, 120 years or something now, whenever the technology started. But nowadays, a lift operator a lift operator hits the green button, and a lift attendant is only allowed to hit the red button. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> you know, it, it kind of... I, I get technology. I get where technology can make things quicker. But even so, people have said the same thing with um, ARFID. Now, I saw in the line um, you had a ticket checker and a pass checker with an ARFID. Um, God, what do they call it? We used to call them a sled. I think the whatever company makes them calls it a sled. I forget the company. The I we used to, You're talking yeah, about the hand scanner. scanner. Yeah. yeah. yeah uh, I. Um, uh, we, we used them back in Target right before I was getting out of retail and logistics. All this technology started to go in there as well. So you had, so I've seen it, I've used it, but I was like, "Aha! You don't have the gate. That's just an arm." I'm sorry, yeah. but I hate the gate. <laughs> I'm um, I'm a firm believer in gateless technology. Now I do have a gate for the new lift, and that is an operational efficiency item because sure. the gate on the new lift announces when you're supposed to move out. Yeah, the main thing that keeps a lift running smoothly is the loading. The loading you... has to be smooth, so that's why I have a gate at the load. So don't get me wrong; I like gates in certain certain aspects, just not the security gate. I don't believe. So my whole my whole take on this is, I don't believe I need to scan the customer every time they come down mm -hmm. on a run with a gate and make the customer prove to me once again that they've purchased a ticket. Sure. Now I do need to go out there. I need to make sure everyone's purchased a ticket. I need to do my scanning. And that also needs to be a personal touch. As you talked about with the lift operator, I want to have a person, person to person contact saying, excuse me, sir, can I check your pass? Oh, absolutely. No problem. Here it is. And they scan you. Now I don't like the, the barcode things a little intimate, right? Remember the old sure. days when they grabbed your ticket and they scanned the barcode? A little intimate. Yeah. 
The RFID scanners allow for a little bit more separation between the scanner and the and the person getting scanned. It also makes them more efficient. They can move quicker through the line, which has been a great advantage. But the other part of this is we also scan every time they come up and down the lift. Mm-hmm. We have passive scanners all over the resort. If you look around the resort, you'll see these six by six squares. And okay. those are scanning all of the RFID tags. And I get this a lot. Why do, why do, if you're, if you're wearing an RFID ticket, why do I want everyone to wear the RFID ticket on the outside of their jacket? Because mm-hmm. everyone's getting used to having the RFID in their sleeve, right? So they can sure. scan to get the dang gate open. Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to get everyone to wear their RFID ticket on the outside of their pants because if they block it with their cell phone or with their wallet or anything like that, I don't get clean reads on what lift they're riding. Sure. And that that data then comes back to me and I can say that we're busier on this lift or that lift and then that can change my operational plan to better my product. So it's not just about security, it's also about the data. And I'm trying to get the data to be able to say, hey, we moved the park up to high country. Yep. When we moved the park up to high country, the high country lift all of a sudden saw a 33% increase in, in operations that day because we had that up there or there is a weather condition that increased the number of skiers that we had up there that's what i'm driving to get to is get that data it also gives me really good skier data on on how often people are skiing things of that sort so that's really what i'm going at with that rfid and trying to leave leave the the pass on the outside i just get cleaner scan data from that and, and that's that's really interesting to me. Again, this is the technology we were starting to see as I was getting out of logistics, out of retail. And again, the same it was the same hand unit. You could just walk past a couple of racks of clothes and it's going to count everything on there provided it's tagged. So I get the technology. I just never thought of it just being always on. And when you're at these mountains that use RFID, just don't put anything else in the same pocket. Put the card or whatever in a, in one pocket, put everything else in your back pocket. It, it, it's just better for everyone. And now yeah. Tim is giving you a reason to keep it on the outside. But that was something unique. I had never seen another mountain. Everybody who you go to a ticket window, they give you your new RFID card. They say, just what I said, don't put it in a pocket. That's whatever. And put it on the left side, right side, whatever they suggest. But you all still don't have a wicket, which is, you know, for some people a little sad, but <laughs> you zip tie it to your jacket. And it's like, that's interesting. Why? Now I know why. Education, yeah, just, kids. Just cleaner, cleaner, uh, cleaner scan data. Uh, this all started for me. This this whole RFID thing started probably ten to fifteen years ago. I was working uh, down at, at uh, Crotchet Mountain, a Peak Resorts, and uh, Chris Bradford. Shout out to Chris Bradford, amazing guy, uh, a techno technological technology wizard. Um, sure. He started working with RFID and started telling me about this theory and. When I came to Waterville, we tested it out for a few years here, he and I did, and then we uh, we found this uh, organization out of Wisconsin, White Peaks Technology, that was interested in doing things the way we were doing it, and they had a POS system, too, that could integrate with this, and so we used our POS system to integrate with their RFID system to make this seamless product, and we're still working on it, still under development, we're still learning things every day about it, but we're doing it a little bit differently. Um, I, I I'm a little bit old school. I like to develop things and I like to figure it out. And I like, I like the, uh, the freedom that I get to do that. And, you know, being a large independent ski resort, um, I get the freedom to, to work these things out and make my product slightly different than my competition. Absolutely. Now, you know, it's amazing. I, again, my first experience with Waterville Valley, having heard of it, 
growing up. I grew up in Southern Vermont. I knew it was there. Never took the time to go because I worked for the American Skiing Company, which many of those mountains ended up with peak, but I didn't because I left. Um, so that's a whole thing. But has Waterville always been on the forefront of technology? Like you talk to a lot of mountains and they implement stuff, but it sounds like Waterville is right there pushing the technology. Like we want to be first. Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily first. Um, I always tell everybody around here, I'm either the smartest general manager in the room or I'm the dumbest. I'm never mediocre. <laughs> I, some things I can't figure out which side I'm on. Sure. Um, you know, that, but that I try to stay humble. I try to work on things. I try to make things a little bit different. I think that in the position that we're at with this mountain and within this industry, we need to have some outliers and some disruptors. And I like to be in that, that ballpark. Um, it's where sure. I kind of thrive. Um, I like to be in the, that, that arena where I'm trying new and different things. And I'm very fortunate to work for, uh, uh, ownership group that allows me to do those things. Absolutely. And it sounds like you're having a good time with it. Are you still having fun? I'm always having fun, man. This is skiing. This is a ski business. I don't Love get it. out nearly as much as I would like to. I was just on the phone the other night. Um, I, I, I was on the phone with one of my best friends and I was just saying how I love to ski and yeah. When I was operations director, I was able to get out and ski a lot more than I am now because I'm doing a lot, a lot of things in the office these days. And I was kind of just, you know, going back to my days of all the operations. Cause I was operations director up until, you know, was it seven years ago now? Totally. Uh, and when it would get cruddy out, like it has been the past few days, that was my opportunity to get out of the mountain and see what I did. Yeah. And then I'd reassess and go out there and hit it, ha hammer it hard again. That's where I fall back to. Even today, I was I was very tempted to jump in a snowcat today and go push out Green Peak. I called nice. up my operations director and I asked him where he was at. I think it was about eleven o'clock this morning, and he was already halfway down. I go, oh come on, man! Like there's no reason for me to go out there now. You you guys are crushing it. You're doing so good. So it's it's it was it's always one of those things that I always get back to, and I love that part of it. I love the aspect. I worked on the conveyors today. I worked on Green Peak. I worked on the lift over there today. I love getting my hands dirty. I love getting into it. And so, and for me, you talk about fun. The best part about this job is the people I work with. You know, sure. the team that I have that we've been able to work together for the past, you know, eight years since I've been here. And we've developed an incredibly tight knit team that is all about running this mountain um, as best we can. And then also you have to remember we're a full resort. So we have- sure. Town Square. So we have all the condos, 32 condos in Town Square. We have all the business entities down there. We also have the hotel. We have employee housing. We have land development stuff that we're doing right now. And when we start talking as a team, we're all kind of jiving. Oh, the conference center. I didn't even mention the conference center. Um, but all, <laughs> when everything's pushing forward and we're all jiving, we're all working towards that common goal. It's so cool. It's just such a powerful force. And I got to say, we have one of the uh, one of the best teams I've ever worked with, everything from the front line, the J1 Visa International Exchange visitors that we bring up from South America that are only with us for three months, all the way up to, you know, guys like Barry St. Cyr, my operations director, who's been with me the, the whole time and he's been here since the 1990s. You know, the, the longevity from that. Oh, talk about longevity. Bush, Butch Cushing's, our, operate, our lift uh, operations manager yeah. i think he was born on the mountain i'm pretty certain of it uh, but yeah he's been here since the since the 60s and 70s and he, is, he knows everything and he's so great to reference back to i was thinking about this this morning uh you know to go back and i have a problem i'm trying to fit, figure something out and i go back to butch and i just you know 
kind of use him as a mirror to look back on. And he goes, oh, yeah, we had that problem back in the 90s. You know, this is what we did about it. Huh. Awesome, so cool. dude. That's it's wicked so cool. cool. Yeah. That but that's, amazing. that's really what makes me happy. That's what makes me so fulfilled is working with these people. That's what makes it fun. See, and that I feel like a lot of people will tell you about working in the industry. It can be a bear. Um, it can get you. But those who are there, those who are in the position similar to Tim or even John Hunt, like I said, who wasn't of skiing background, he, he had a whole other career path and ended up running a mountain. Hathaway down there at Magic, he had a hole to do. They want to be there, even though they're doing everything else. Like Hathaway will tell you, I think it's him who talks about if his favorite GM job is being a parking attendant, I think, is his thing. And uh, yours clearly is operations in this case, yes? Yes, absolutely. There you absolutely. go. Right, gravitate. Yeah, yeah, so there you go. Everybody has more than one job. Once you, The further up the level ladder you go, it doesn't get easier. You just get an office. Uh, but you're never in it. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's no reason for it to be there. Like, to do silly stuff like this, sure. But, you know, you got to do other things, man. And Waterville is great. You can see it when you're walking around talking to people, when you see the um, the different people doing their jobs. That day I was there. Um, I met your media person, Sarah, that day for the first time. She was not at McIntyre which is where I first started meeting Waterville people because she had the the COVID, I think, or something. Very nice, but she was running around doing 10 different things at once, too. She's like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, dude, I get it. I was there. I worked there, man. Like, I, Not at Waterville. I was at Mount Snow. But same idea applies, but everybody is so nice. They're, they're so knowledgeable. They want to be there. And, man, that's the employee you want. You don't want the one with, who wants the check. You yeah. want the one who wants to be there. Like, tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> No, you're 100% right. And at the end of the day, you know, uh, yeah, we all have to make a living. We all have to make a life. And we all want to do that. And we want to provide the best life possible for everybody who works with us. Um, and But nevertheless, in the ski industry, you know, one of the first things that I learned in uh, uh, Skiery Operations 101, the first day, Randy Mazzano, the director at the time of the Skiery Management Program, said, if you're in this for the money, just leave this room now. Yep, because this is not the industry that you're in it for the money. You're in it for the passion, and I'll never forget that. Actually, I took those words of advice very early on in life. And when I was uh, working for Beaver Creek, Colorado, as a snowmaking supervisor, I was I was uh, uh, needing some extra money, so I went out and bartended, and realized okay. that I just need to supplement my income in a different way. And that's the way I was able to live this different lifestyle. Um, it was it's it you know it is a a sacrifice. There's no doubt about it. My entire family lives it every day. I don't know the last time that I went back to Michigan for a holiday. Um, probably never will. But yeah, at my day, Thanksgiving Day, you'll find me in a snowcat, and I'll be happy as can be. I'll make it home. I'll make it home for turkey. We'll have a great turkey dinner. I got two twin boys. They are fantastic, and they live the industry with us. I'm actually looking at their ski boots in my office right now, and how cool is that? That's super cool, dude. When it is literally a part of the family they're what now sixth generation they'll be running hills somewhere maybe obviously i don't you know the parents don't always push kids into things that's not cool but you know i mean maybe tim will i don't know i'm all for that too a parent how you want i don't care um, i got one that wants to, i got one that would probably take it over today and i got one that wants nothing to do with it and there you go <laughs> the beauty of twins ladies and gentlemen they're never the same even if they're identicals they're they not the identical. same that's the craziest part <laughs> there it is they're identicals, and one will be there at dad's side, and the other's like, heck with this, I'm going home. 
Good boy. <laughs> I love it. Make up your own mind, man. So speaking of Michigan, dude, what is that like then coming over and you've now you've been in the industry all over the country. So you've seen it from New England to the Rockies out up, up into Michigan. Now, Michigan is a place I've been to very little, very little bit. Don't know anything about this at all, especially the skiing, man. What is that like? Like that's so a whole- I always laugh. I always laugh because our high country pod, which is at the top of our mountain, mm-hmm. is about the size of my hometown ski area. It's actually wow. a little bigger. That's 450 vertical feet up there. My hometown skier was 250 vertical feet. Wow. Little. <laughs> little. Little. But the passion that you talk about with yeah. these indie resorts, that's what keeps those things running. Do you know the the number one, mo- the state with the most ski areas in the United States? New York. You know which one it is? New York. New York. Do you know number two? Is it Michigan? It's Michigan. Yeah, I never knew yep. that. I just guessed yep. it because we were it's talking. Crazy about it. man, there there is so many ski resorts in in Michigan, northern part of Michigan, up by where I grew up in Traverse City. Um, you know, we're we're within two hours of I think like ten ski resorts. It's crazy, wow, dude. Um, we get the lake effect snow that comes off of Lake Michigan <clears throat> during the winter time. You get loaded up with a bunch of snow. Um, the only only hardship that I ever had there for one, the mountains are they're they're just hills. They're very small. For two, the uh, the sun just doesn't come out, and it's super high humidity, so it makes it hard snowmaking. Um, moved up to Marquette, Michigan, where you get the Porcupine Mountain areas. You got you got some ma- great ski resorts up there. You got Black, well, now not Blackjack, but Blackjack Indian Head, Powderhorn, uh, White Caps. Those are all in the snow belt around Ironwood. You got Marquette Mountain. You got, of course, Mount Bohemia. Everyone's heard mm-hmm. of Mount Bohemia. Sure. Those are all in the snow belt from from the Lake Superior side. And those guys will get hammered with like 500 inches of snow. Sure, you're only maxing out a thousand vertical feet in Mount Bohemia. But when you get 500 inches of snow, it's insane. The year I spent up in that neck of the woods, I, we had 520 inches of snow. My it was God. absolutely nuts. And you, they don't even plow the roads at that point. They just, they just get the soft stuff off and you drive on top of the harder stuff. It's it's wild. It's a different yeah. world up there. It's very much I assimilate it to in this area like northern Maine. Okay, it, it's sure. Very northern Maine-ish. So when I moved out west, of course, you know my uncle was working for Winter Park, Colorado. I had spent some time out there. I thought it was that's where I'm going to live. That's where that's my goal in life is I'm going to live in in the Rockies. I'm going to live in Colorado. So I moved out there as a young man, worked in snowmaking, loved it. Bought sure. a condo. Lived out there for a number of years, absolutely loved it, but I just didn't feel the passion that I felt from the Midwest. And so uh, uh, I got a call from a good friend of mine that was helping reopen the ski resort that I grew up at, Mount Holiday. This is the ski resort my grandfather cut the trees down for, my dad was a patrol director at. Calls me up and he says, hey Tim, just let you know we're starting Mount Holiday and just wanted to know if you'd have any interest in, in coming back and helping get it restarted. And I dropped everything and I moved back back to Michigan, helped to restart that for awesome. a year. Uh, as a 501c3, uh, kick, got the race program back up and running. I was actually, technically, I was the lodge manager. Um, <laughs> but that was, uh, you know, it quickly, quickly, I, I gravitated again towards operations, got out there running the snowcats, did the snowmaking, helped fix chairlifts, those types of things, got that thing back up and running. Um, but, you know, I was in my 20s and I just couldn't quite, see myself staying there forever. So I moved back to Colorado, wanted to get back out to the big mountains. Um, but I spent, I think two more years out there and just, I needed that passion after experiencing reopening my hometown ski resort. I wanted the passion again. Sure. And I wanted to get that feeling of that, that grittiness, that 
hard work ethic that, you know, you can really see how your hard work is paying off in your product. Yeah. And so I can't, I went back to Wisconsin and got hooked up with a little place called Hidden Valley, just south of Green Bay. Uh, this okay. place, hundred and I think it was 150 vertical feet, mm-hmm. very small, six rope toes, one chairlift. It was, it had been closed down for, I think three years, had didn't have a place to put the, the snow cat, didn't have a garage to put the snow cat in. So when I worked on the snow cat, <laughs> I had to work on it outside. Oh, uh, so it was a totally different beast, but talk about passion. I mean, we're talking Green Bay, Wisconsin. I came into Green Bay, Wisconsin, and within two weeks, I was invited to a Thanksgiving dinner. These people what? welcomed me with the biggest, most passionate, open arms. They're so excited. I'm actually having some friends from there that are still great friends of mine. They're coming out to visit us in, in March. So excited to see them. But that's what I found in the Midwest, is I found that super passionate uh, 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 idea of running a ski resort. And that's what attracted me to Peak Resorts because Peak Resorts was a Midwestern company. Yeah, totally. That ran by a Midwestern family, the Boyd family. And so uh, when I was deciding to leave, because it was just a little small, didn't see a great future there, decided to leave, hooked up with SMI Snowmaking, uh, which is out of uh, out of Michigan. I'm great friends with those guys there. And when they said, I, when, when I talked to them at a Midwestern trade show, they said, when you decide to leave, I want to be your first phone call. So I called up Tom Fillmore. He hooked me up with guys at Peak Resorts. They recruited me to come east. I never thought I'd end up on the East Coast. Yeah. That was like the furthest thing. All I had ever heard about the East Coast was the Ice Coast. Yeah, man. Totally. And I was yeah. thinking, oh, this place is going to be wild. I don't know what to expect. So I got recruited to go to to, to Crotchet Mountain, and it was different. I'll say that. My first yeah. couple years, I was I was working with fan gun technology, which is something that's real near and dear to my heart because fan guns are, they, they, they're, you know, SMI out of Michigan. You know, they're, yeah. they're a piece of equipment I've used my entire life. And that, and so we ended up using that equipment at Crotch and we had 110 when I first started and I was able to work on that lift. It was awesome. Or is on that, on that facility, which was awesome. It made me feel a little more grounded because it was Midwestern. Sure. But at the same time, I got to learn the East and I mm-hmm. got to learn about the people on the East and what they wanted, what they desired. So when I came up to Waterville, I kind of had like this already in of like spending six years on an East coast ski resort realizing what we needed. We needed racing. We needed parks. We needed to manicure our product to, to the best quality possible. We needed to have amazing snowmaking. The, when you talk about grit, you, yeah. you, you really experience it when you're on this East Coast. It is so competitive. I mean, we have how many ski resorts just on the 93 corridor? Oh, you know, yeah, that, totally. That is awesome. That is so much fun. You go into the White Mountains and you look up at those mountains. They are legit mountains. These are big mountains. We're skiing over 2,000 vertical feet here in Waterville. The the chairlift, this year's chairlift that we put in in, at at Waterville is the largest installation in America. Yep. Oh, yeah, dude. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You go down down the mountain and you see these people skiing with their – hips checking the snow on their way down people know how to turn they understand what the product needs to be and they are they're willing to deal with the east coast but they expect to have the highest quality and that's what i love about being here the expectation that the guest has is is far higher than any other place that i've worked at and it's a challenge every day to deliver that that product to this guest expectation level it's awesome i love it 
That's awesome. What a way to put it. Because you don't hear that. Uh, you just don't. You know, you hear things about the East and the ski culture. And there are different cultures. That's one of the reasons, since I had someone from Michigan, I wanted to ask about that. Because Michigan has is not infamous. That's not the right word. But people that that culture is a, is a little different from the east which is a little different from the you know the rockies which is a little different from the california and so on and so forth but the east is something to be reckoned with and it's 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 i don't know i've had a lot of fun here in in here uh in the east you know growing up here living here obviously tim has a ton of fun too that tim two tims isn't that amazing let me ask you something I, this just popped in the way you talk so passionate like you're legit the real deal he's not a faker like, that's what's something we try to move away from here is dishonesty. I don't like that stuff. Now, I don't know if you've ever met him. I haven't met this person since the 90s. Chris Diamond. You remember him? Oh, I love Chris Diamond. I absolutely. Love, great guy. He wrote a book. Do you want to write a book? Because you could write a book. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I, so, funny story about Chris Diamond. Okay. So, Chris Diamond writes the book, you know, Ski Inc. and all of that, right? Yep, totally. And so, I am... You know, I'm passionate about the ski industry. I follow Chris Diamond. I know who he is. He worked for ASC, you know, yep. and then few people know Chris Diamond actually was part of the acquisition team after bankruptcy of Waterville Valley. So when you ah. go through corporate documents, Chris Diamond's name's written on a ton of corporate documents, which is wow. really interesting. They were I didn't here know for that. such a short period of time, and they really thought that Waterville had this water issue, this water problem, because we, we take all of our water from the Mad River. But if you yep. look at the times when Chris Diamond was here, he wasn't here long enough to see the fluctuations in the water. Sure. The water fluctuates. It's called the Mad River because it goes mad. That thing <laughs> will go crazy high when we have water. And having this warm and this cool and all of the stuff that we're dealing with these days, yeah. that water is running really high. So we ended up being able to increase our pumping capacity and not and still meet our minimum stream flows. And that ended up allowing us to extract a little bit more water out of the out of the Mad River and a little bit more consistency in our snowmaking. Nice. And he writes that in the book. He doesn't know how Waterville Valley uh, was able to figure out this the water capacity issues that they have. And it's because of the Mad and understanding how the Mad works and understanding when you can extract more water and when you cannot. So like right now, we're running super high. We've had all this warm weather. Totally. We the snow. We had a we had some premature snow. Don't ever say the R word around me. But we had the premature snow that ended up leading <laughs> into this this uh, high river level. So the high river is allowing us to to pump out. I think we're we're a little low right now because we're only we're only running at about twenty six degrees wet bulb right now. Sure. And so I think we're only at about two thousand gallons a minute. But uh, tomorrow we should be up there around thirty five, thirty eight uh, uh, thousand. 3,800 gallons a minute. So we'll get it up there. And that, you know, it's not great. We're still working with a little bit of a pea shooter in a machine gun fight. Um, but <laughs> the the, wow. the fact is that we're in a good position right now to be able to cover our acreage smart and cover it fast. Um, so there's two ends of the snowmaking system. You got the intake with the water, which is we just talked about, and you got the cool. output, which is the, the snow guns. And we've been improving our snow gun technology and making stationary areas so we can move fast and get things covered quickly, which is something I learned from my time in Peak Resorts. And so we've been concentrating on that. We do have plans of increasing our, our snowmaking capacity with a pond, uh, which is a little bit down the road. But uh, right now we're, we're, we're doing quite well. And it's, it's kind of funny to hear Chris Diamond say, I, oh, I don't know how they figured it out. It wasn't <laughs> anything we had to figure out. It was right there. It was a water analysis that we did over the high flows that, that we figured out. But Chris Diamond is an amazing person. And if you ask me, 
to write a book. I think I'm a few years off of that. Maybe in retirement someday, I'll have a lot more stories to tell. Everybody asks me, when you retire, what's your ideal job? And I always say, I want to be a ski instructor because I want to go around and tell the stories. I love telling my stories. I mean, I have so many great stories in this industry of all these wonderful people that I've been able to meet, all these mentors from, you know, Felix Kagey to Tom Corcoran to Don O'Dell in in Vail Resorts, you know, all these mentors that I've had throughout my life. And then getting the opportunity to run a ski resort with amazing ownership. I just got, I have, I have, yeah, I would probably fill up a couple books with all my stories. And, and I'd say go for it. Like, I haven't gotten to re- read uh, Chris Diamond's books. I, I haven't gotten around to it yet. I'm a film guy. What can I do? You right. know, I'm trying to get into, I'm trying to get back into reading. It's it's it's, it's a thing. But he, he is an interesting guy. And I remember meeting him, God, back in the Mount Snow days in the 90s. And he he was he was on Mountain then. And then he just goes up to do all this stuff. And, you know, with all the stories you have, I was like, dude, go for it, man. Sit down, get a ghostwriter, maybe. I don't know. That, that's awesome. You know, the cool the cool thing about the Chris Diamond books is he doesn't just he doesn't just hit on the industry, he hits on the culture of working in the industry. Sure. And you know, and that culture is so critical to keeping this industry alive. I actually wrote an article uh, that was published in the New Hampshire Business Journal uh, about bringing the ski bum back to the ski town. Sure. And it is something, you know, this housing crisis that we're having across America in ski towns is something critical to keeping our ski industry healthy and keeping our culture healthy. Um, we've really got to work on making sure that we have affordable housing for all yep. these people who come in. And it could be that three-month you know, international exchange visitor, or it could be the three-year lift mechanic, or it could be the 30-year mountain operations director. We need to make sure that we can provide a standard of living that matches and makes them excited for what they're doing here. Um, I start, we started, uh, back in, what was that? 15, uh, Chris purchased one of the, one of the hotels here and we turned it into a, uh, employee housing complex. And that has True. been able to help us. We have four condos. I think we have 16 hotel rooms and four bunk houses. Um, but we, we have enough that we can at least supplement a little bit and provide some employee housing. My first year here, I actually, my wife and I, oh no, it was my second year here. My wife and I, uh, we're renting a place that had an, uh, an apartment on the, on the side of it. We, we, uh, brought in four international exchange visitors to live there to try to understand why are they coming to the ski industry? Why are they coming sure. from South America where it's yeah. summer and it's beautiful and it's warm. And then coming up to New Hampshire in the winter where they've never seen snow, many of them never seen any snow and they want, they want to come up here and work for three months. Why? And so yeah. we had four of them living with us and we did dinners every other Thursday, American dinner one Thursday, you right. know, the Peruvian dinner, the the other Thursday. And we talked and it was all about experiencing culture. And totally. that's important in this industry is keeping the culture of the industry. That's why independent ski resorts are so critical to making sure this health of this industry is here. And we, we really have to work on this housing issue, this housing crisis that's going around these mountain, these mountain towns. So. I'm working on some projects and I'm trying to get there, but it's uh, it's a really big problem. You know, and it, and it really is. And you hear about it quite often in the industry when people talk about where can we put them, especially in the big money towns where it's, you know, I don't want to sound like that kind of jerk off, but, you know, the rich folks. I and mean, that's, we know what I mean. We, we know yeah, what totally. I mean. And, um, you know, so where are the workers going to live? And, you know, people have been coming up with ideas, trying to, you know, especially those who come up from other countries on the off season. We, 
you know, back in my Mount Snow days, it was South Africans uh, every year. Um, H2B. Yep. yep. Uh-huh. And uh, again, again, you're right. It's, it's a big old culture shock. And it's wonderful because we're all small town kids. Who do we know? You know, it wasn't until years later I moved out of Vermont, started living in cities. So I got to meet people. Now we know people. It's it's a wonderful to do. And it sounds like you got Waterville has the technology. It skis like if you drive up to it, you almost think it's a corporate owned mountain. It feels that way in size. It feels that way in amenities. But once you get to the people, it doesn't feel that way anymore. It feels That's like a- an indie mountain. And I love the place. I, I, I want to explore it more. And uh, I love skiing there. I love the events there. In fact, you know, we can move on to that now because, God, you have some great events coming up as well. And yeah. um, I mean, I could let Tim go and tell stories all day. I know I could and cut this into like a three or four parter. But, you know, we can't sit on here for three or four hours. One day we might. You never know. I have a couple I'm totally ideas. Into it. I'm fully into it, by the way. If you want to, if you want to dive in deeper in any part of my life, I'm totally into it. I love having conversations, especially at this point in the day. Stay tuned, kids. There might be a live stream with the two Tims coming out, and we'll just go at it live. It'll be awesome. We'll do it on like a Saturday evening. It'll be great. But one of the big things you have coming now for those who follow Ski Rex Media religiously on all corners, written podcasts photos social media you know i was at the fis thing at killington not too long ago that race at one point i think was at waterville uh many years ago this year you all have the freestyle nationals yeah so we had 11 world cups here because you know tom corcoran was an olympic ski racer totally was was. married to to birdie birdie britain now uh uh, and birdie corcoran at the time and she was an olympic athlete also and so they and with Sal Hanna as the designer of the mountain, they designed a mountain that was just perfect for ski racing. And it's an amazing hill. Tommy's Tommy's World Cup, the, that run is an absolute gem. Sure. However, we also stumbled apart upon the fact that freestyle was a thing. Mm-hmm. And this happened when Tom Corcoran was in the, ni- the 1970s, and he really wanted to figure out who was the best skier on the mountain? Was it the freestyler or was it the racer? And so they did this exhibition of freestyle skiing. And that was the first competition of freestyle skiing. It was held on uh, True Grit. Wayne Wong competed in it. Bertie Burton <laughs> actually competed in it. Um, and they basically went down and they did whatever they could do down this Mowgli course. And it was timed and it was judged. And it was, you know, if you fell and got back up, that was actually a bigger crowd applaud and a bigger yeah. crowd proud uh, appreciation and that gave you higher points it was like the wild west of skiing back then right and sure. then at the bottom it was a big flat section and that was what introduced ballet mm-hmm. so you got all these different pieces of it you got the big air part because people wanted to see you catch air that became big air that became yep. you know the 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 uh, aerials you know yep. then you had the mogul part of it where they wanted to see you control yourself when you were out of complete control they wanted to see if you could regain your control that became yep. moguls you know, at the bottom, you had ballet because they wanted to see you do a stunt off of your ski poles. You know, and Wayne Wong, of course, did the Wong banger, which was a complete accident because he was trying to do a tip roll and he hit <laughs> Mogul too hard and flipped over his poles instead of around his poles. And that yep. became the Wong banger. So all these things that happened at Waterville on True Grit ended up being part of freestyle. So we're super excited to bring Freestyle Nationals back because, hell, that was invented here. You know, it's nice. such a cool thing. And so when you go on Lower Bobbies, this, this you know, this trail is legit. 
it goes down 27 degrees and then drops to like 35 and then drops down, drops back out at 28 at the bottom. And I was my first year here. I did a bunch of different courses and Nick Preston, uh, Hannah Carney's coach. Sure. Um, he came up to me very modest, comes into the office. He brings, uh, he brings in some, some refreshments for me and starts talking to me and it's like, Hey, my name's, my name's, uh, Nick Preston. I'm like, of course I know who you are, man. Like <laughs> you, you need no introduction in my life. That's I'm like, awesome. I'm, I'm feeling super fortunate just to have you in my office. And he says, well, what do you think about, uh, maybe putting the bump course on, on lower Bobby's? And I said, dude, you're Nick Preston. You want to, yep. you want a bump course on lower Bobby's? We're doing a bump course on lower Bobby's. And so I got in the winch cat, we pushed up some, some bumps on lower Bobby's and we hosted, I think it was the, the new England finals or something that year. Sure. And I was blown away. I studied the FIS specs on exactly what, uh, you know, the highest end bump course could be. And sure. then I was in my snowcat and I'm measuring the pitches that I'm at. And I'm like, wait, yeah. this thing goes 27, 35, 27, and it's 520 meters long. It's like exactly FIS spec. Yeah. I said, this is amazing. So I ended up pushing that course. And then a few years later, uh, we were, you know, Nick pushed it forward with us and the U S ski team. And we met the U S ski team and Jamie Cobbett, who's an amazing dude that works uh, as our marketing manager. And he has a huge background in events, knew a bunch of the people. And so we got freestyle nationals here. We got the rev tour here. We had Alpine nationals here. Uh, we've had, I think two freestyle nationals, one Alpine nationals. We were supposed to host the Alpine nationals in 2021, but it was postponed because of COVID. Sure. It was postponed again this year because they, they needed to do it on the West coast. Hopefully we'll get it back next year or the year following. Um, but we love working us ski team. I got it mm -hmm. right there in my vest. I love working with them. I love hosting these events. Uh, I do believe that when it comes to being an independent mountain and hosting this level of event, it gives all of our loyalists, the people that are here, the real water villains, the yeah. ones that are here day in and day out, it gives you something to aspire towards. And when sure. you look at those athletes doing what they can do on our mountain, it is something incredible. It is so cool to see. And you were talking a little bit about my food truck earlier. Yeah. That food truck was designed for this event. Okay. I can yeah, only we imagine. Used, we worked with the outfit called <laughs> Freezing Kitchens. We actually built it for a TV show called Built for Business. And okay. uh, it, the episode hasn't aired yet, but it's uh, it's in season three of Built for Business. And the whole okay. idea behind this was to be able to roll this thing up to the bottom of Lower Bobby's, lower the stage down, put stands on the stage so you could watch from the stage, you could do your awards from the stage. The backside of it's the actual food truck where you can get your food out of it, has a big screen TV, and then the top <laughs> folds out and it makes a judging platform on the top. Oh, of it. wow. I didn't even notice that part of it, dude. That thing. Yeah, yeah. That damn transformer truck. Let me tell you something about this truck. You only see something like this in the military. Like, this is the next generation of what was once, uh, the what is it, the M35A or 2A, whatever it was, six-ton, six-wheel, all the, or quarter-ton, six-wheel, whatever the it is. Oscar 1070. There, there is you go. The truck is. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, this is the more modern version of those, and it, it, it's, it's, you know what? Uh, Waterville needs its own museum. You got so much going on there that's that's directly linked to its past. Like this mountain has everything in its past that is now part of a future that's just getting better and bigger and brighter. And again, as you said, it's an independent thing, but it, it's so much more than that. It's an amazing place. I, 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 I can't say enough about but, it. You know, the coolest thing. So 
I mentioned my my mentors a minute ago, and there's one sure. mentor that's very close to me is Felix Kagi. Felix Kagi is from Switzerland. Um, maybe one of the reasons I have an affinity for Swiss part, Swiss manufacturing, but he was an incredibly detail oriented individual. Extremely, extremely kind to me, taught me a lot of things. And one of the things he taught me, so he was working for Peak Resorts and he worked with Tim Boyd on acquisitions of different resorts. And he uh-huh. said, Tim, there's only five things you need to look for in a ski resort. Number one is location. It got to beat everybody else on location. That's how we make it. Number sure. two is you got to have water. Mm-hmm. Number three is you got to have power, big power mm-hmm. infrastructure. Number four is you got to have beauty and uniqueness. You know, they ah. go hand in hand. And number five is location. And I said, Felix, you said number f- location twice. And he goes, it's that important, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> that is so when I was looking at Waterville, you know, I, I saw location. We're the first major mountain, first mountain of the White Mountains on mm-hmm. the 93 corridor. Yep. So everybody has to pass us in order to go to another mountain. Sure. Number two, water. We've got the Mad River. The Mad River has a ton of water in it, so I knew we had water. Number three, power infrastructure. Uh, Tom Corcoran was a visionary in this. <laughs> he brought in major power into the ski in the ski area. The entire town, 540 private acres, surrounded by the White Mountain National Forest. He stopped the power lines at the at the welcome sign. Yeah. If you go through Waterville, you won't see a power line. It's all underground. Oh, no way. I never noticed. It's something you won't notice. He also put in a septic a septic system that blew away everybody else's. Sure. He was a visionary in that development. That allows us to not have the the, the pro- power problems of having all these above ground power lines. Yeah, yeah. He also brought a massive amount of power all the way up to the mountain. Okay. Uh 12 12 4 kVA all the way up to the mountain and then ran that not only to the base all the way to the summit. Holy crap, dude. <laughs> we have an amazing amount of power here. When I saw the power infrastructure, I was like ding ding ding, that's a winner. Um so the power infrastructure is there. And then the last the 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 last thing other than location is beauty. Mm-hmm. Oh, this dude. place is unreal. We Ridiculous. are literally in the middle of the White Mountain National Forest. When you see us on a map, there's nothing else around us. No. Nope. Because we are six miles from the border of the White Mountain National Forest. The farm that used to exist is the reason we have 540 acres of private land inside of the White Mountain National Forest. It's like a Shangri-La. Yeah. It, and we talked about it earlier. The the snow, the 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 weather pattern, we're a thousand feet higher than Plymouth. We yep. get a thousand vertical feet more. We end up with this little snow globe that ends up today. We we're supposed to get a dusting. I think we got four inches up top. It's amazing. Yep. It's really cool. Surrounded all by four thousand foot peaks. Such a unique place. Oh, so unique. And, and for beauty, man, it, uh, if you go to Waterville Valley, and I'm sure if you've never been there, we're kind of like, eh, I don't know. I'm sure Tim has sold you on it 100%. But when you get to the top, take a look around, uh, especially on a clear day. God, the day the 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 lift opened, man, it was a beautiful day. And the, the, the just the, it was just awesome. Like, I can't even describe it. It was the clouds were rolling in on some of the distant mountains. It, it just looked amazing. When you're driving up to the place, you're just out there in the forest it's 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 wonderful like you jump off the interstate and you are immediately rural and it's amazing it's a great place man i get blown away by how close it is to boston oh yeah you know i can go down i can leave here my house is in the valley i live right here i this is this is my everything 
So I'm right here sure. in the valley. And when I drive out of the valley and realize, wait, there's no snow? Like, where'd the snow go? Because mm-hmm. there'll be snow in the valley and there won't be any snow just down the road. It's crazy. Yeah. Then I drive down into Boston. And this is like in May, right? Yeah. Drive down into Boston and it's sunny. And people mm-hmm. are in shorts and jogging. And I can go out and hang out and, you know, go down to Fennel Hall, go to Cheers, go to the, you know, whatever I'm doing. And then I can drive back home because it's only like two hours. Yeah. When I lived in Michigan, I used to drive two hours to go get dinner. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) That rural lifestyle without a beautiful, wonderful interstate. It's crazy. It's so awesome. And that was another thing. We talked about the Midwest and the Eastern side of things. The Eastern side of things of being so close to everything is absolutely amazing. It, it can have its advantages. Like, you know, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've driven all up and down the I-95, I- and I you can have it. Like, I'm, I'm fine with that. I lived in New Jersey for many, many years. You can have the traffic there, too. But you can get places. And as Tim said, you hop right on the I-93, and that dumps you right into Boston. Like, it, they, they, yeah. they, it goes right under Boston, as a matter of fact, I believe, right? Yeah. We have one stop stop stoplight. Yep. One stoplight between us and and Boston. That's it. Yeah, and that's an odd place, that stoplight. It, it just kind of jumps out there. Like, I've seen it. I've stopped at it. I was like, why is this here? Like, shouldn't this be two stop signs on the outside and I can just keep going? It's a beautiful, wonderful place, man. And no joke, it should have its own museum dedicated to it because there is yeah. so much that has happened there, so much that is happening there, so much that's going to happen there. You got anything you can tell us about for the future we could scoop on, or is it all secret plans? Oh, you know, I, I could go into our 10-year development plan, gondola down into Town Core, and and what we're working with with the National Forest and trying to get the master development plan into fruition. And the fact that our company, uh, you know, we developed a, a sister company with the development uh, aspects of it. We purchased all of the C1 developable land in town. We've, we've put up four condos so far. We've got another, I think, what is it? Nine on the way next summer. Um, then we we're working on development of a large hotel. We're working on the development of the gondola that will be coming out of the town core, reaching the, 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 uh, mid station at the base of green peak and going up the front side of green peak with all of the trails that come off the front side, really connecting our town to our yeah. to our ski area which will be just a massive game changer right i that, that it will cut down on our our need to drive buses it will make it so that the guests can walk out of their their hotel room carrying their skis get on a gondola and go right up to the top of the chairlift all those things we're working on um you know nothing nothing right now that can be like hey man tim we got it we're building it next year nice. not, not quite yet but we're getting there i can tell you I have my eye on the big prize. That's my 10-year development plan. Sure. But I also have it on the, the the little things. You know, little things like regrading our parking lots. For some reason, oh, yeah. back in the 1970s, they decided to pave our parking lots. Horrible idea, by the way, yeah. if you're dealing with salt and snow and that's the only time you really park there. Sure. So we, we ground up our parking lots this year and regraded the parking lots. It was something that hadn't been done in a long time and made the mm-hmm. parking way better. So it's those little differences. Everything yeah. down to, and I'm going to mention it. I know I'm getting a lot of flack for it right now. Our bag policy. Some mm-hmm. people hate my bag policy. And I really, really, you know, over COVID, the one thing that I learned was that there's more people out there that just want to be able to sit down and not have to deal with your bag yep. than there are with people that are putting their bags there. So uh-huh. we've gone pretty hard at it. I'll admit it. You know, we have three <laughs> ways of doing it. You can leave your, put your bag in the car. You can, you can put your bag in our locker or, or you can put our bag in our bag check. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, those big, those are things that we really want to concentrate on. If you need that amenity, I'm happy to provide it. It's just going to be at an additional cost because not everybody needs it and not everybody should have to pay for what you need. Sure. So th- that's my idea behind it. I've been pushing hard on it and our loyal guests really appreciate the fact that we don't have bags all over our lodge, that our lodge isn't a complete mess. It, you, when you go in for lunch, there's a place to sit even on our busiest days um, so we've been really pushing hard on that. And I know it's a cultural thing and I know that I'm really trying hard. And once again, I may be the dumbest or I may be the smartest general manager in the room. Yeah. Uh, the, the verdict's still out, but I'm working on that one. <laughs> but it's all those little intimate details about how you operate your ski resort that really set us apart from, from the competition. And when you talk about, you know, trying to get the inside scoop on development, um, you know, the one thing that I'm super excited about right now is this, this idea of this new T-bar um, it's been approved with the National Forest. We're going to replace exhibition platter lift and the the World Cup T bar with one T bar that goes uh, directly adjacent to our new chairlift, and we'll take you up an additional uh, roughly 200 250 vertical feet, um, so you can access everything the platter lift and the T bar uh, accesses now, and a little bit more to be honest. And then we're going to light it all, and we're going to nice. have nice off that T bar. Um, so that's the thing that wow. I'm really looking at, you know, kind of my mid stage plan right now. I love night skiing. I grew up in Michigan. I ran crotchet mountain. We had midnight madness where we ran for, until 3am, 18 days out of the year, Whoa. We ran from 9am to 3am. Yeah. It's crazy. I always said every year I worked at crotchet was like, I worked two different, two years. I got two yeah. years of experience every one year I worked there, but we are, Dude. I'm looking at that. It's a really cool experience to think about that T-bar. 700, 700 feet per minute, which means it's going to go, you know, uh, 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 as fast as, as a slow high speed quad. I don't know how to put that, but it's a fast lift. The new T bars, we have one in the high country. They're super comfortable. They, they don't have that quick jolt that you get from the old ones. They have a hydro hydraulic inside it instead of a spring. So the, as it spins up, it, it, it kind of tensions instead of like that hard push. Yeah. Um, so they're just way more comfortable. They spin at a high rate of speed. It's going to get our comp- competitors because we are a competition mountain. So we'll get our competitors up the mountain to the, the, deliver them in the position where they can start their races or they can start their park event. And we'll really be able to focus on that. So I'm, su- I'm really excited about that T-bar. I can't say, you know, when it's going to come. You know, I'm also balancing the, the, the budget. And I'll tell you what, that chairlift did cost me a pretty penny. So <laughs> having to balance that budget, we're, we're still a couple years out from that T-bar. But we're we're really looking forward to putting that T bar in. Awesome! I support surface lifts, man. Now that I can ride them without problems, I've been up the one y'all got there now. Nice fancy orange right up to the top. Beautiful, love it. Um, and didn't fall off it, so that's good. Rode it with Jumpin' Steve, as a matter of fact. Shout out to Jumpin' Steve, local celebrity down there at Waterville. Um, man, you all have it going on. It sounds like, you know what, I'm, I, we're not going to stay on much longer because we've, we've gone over an hour and we could keep going. And believe me, now I'm thinking of a way that we can keep going. We'll get a few people in and we'll just go all day. It'll be great. But, um, if, if the zombie apocalypse happens, this is where you want to be. They've got the power. <laughs> we talked about that actually. But well, there you go. <laughs> Right at the beginning of COVID, right? Yeah. You know, of course, everyone's going zombie apocalypse. I'm like, I know exactly the tree I'm cutting on 49. That's <laughs> gonna block off this, block off this road, and we're gonna. And then I, I, I spit off this whole idea, this whole plan. And then Barry Saint Cyr goes, "You really think the military isn't gonna take us over like that?" I'm like, uh, yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. We have generators. We have a ton of diesel fuel. We have the ability to power this entire plant off of off of our generator, like. 
Uh, you're probably right. We have a communication site. We have you know, all that stuff. It is the place to be for the zombie apocalypse, though. It really is. Like, the military's not coming up here. We're, we're That's the beauty of us. Run for the hills. Remember, you heard that. Iron Maiden, man. Dude, they're not coming up here. This is where I'll probably go and, um, you know, or I'll just go to Whaleback, but whatever. It, it's, it's closer, and who knows if we'll have gas during the zombie apocalypse, and I'm not a great cross country guy, which we didn't even get into get we didn't get to get into that either. I don't know how much of that you have to deal with. Oh man, it's awesome. I love it because I deal with it very little because I have the <laughs> best Nordic director. Ian Cullison is absolutely hands down. Uh, I'll put him up against anybody. He can make a trail out of literally nothing. I, nice. The, the fact that we still have Nordic after all of this that we've gone through, I think we he's trying to get 10K open for the weekend, something like that. But we have 70, 74 kilometers of Nordic skiing, and we have our first new Nordic trail this year, Rough Rider, that's going to connect to our north end, uh, 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 Snows Mountain area, down to our south end without having to come back into town. Super excited. Wow. It's a part of our sport that goes underappreciated, in my opinion. I think that the Nordic is so cool. And talking about Indy, we are an Indy Pass mountain for the Nordic also. Yep. So someone yep. can come up here, have four days skiing Alpine 2 and Nordic 2 and have a wonderful time. Yeah, you really can. I was actually going to say that too, you know, talking to Doug Fish, talking to Reese Brown, you know, these folks who know, because I don't know anything about it. I haven't cross-country skied since my senior year in high school, man. And it's been a while. I graduated in 97, not going to lie. And but you have it all over there, and it's a wonderful place. I highly, highly encourage you to check it out. Very easy to get to, very accessible. Um, I enjoy it. I've been there several times. Like I said, I was there for the opening of the lift. I'm going to be there for the U.S. Nationals. I'm going to be there for the side hit seance. Uh, there's a couple things I'm going to be bouncing in and out of Waterville for. Plus, I'm going to get a ski day or two in there as well. I got to take my glades. Don't forget about the glades. And if you ski glades, I'm sure they got glades. Now, me, I don't know much about it because I stay out of them now. That's <sighs> That was for younger me. Younger me was all about that life. Old me is like, no, nah, I'm good. Thanks. But they oh, have man, I, I, I work on glades every weekend all summer long. It's my passion. I've been doing it since I was about 15 years old. My dad took me out cutting glades at Sugarloaf on Manitou. And ever since then, I've developed a passion for cutting glades. It just is the coolest thing. It is wonderful if you do it and you can do it. Now, for me personally, kidding aside, I just don't feel confident in my abilities anymore, or I also don't feel confident in my knees to do it anymore. Um, can do it. Do I have the skill to do it? Yes. Did I do it over at Dartmouth the other day? Yeah, a little bit I did. I'm not going to lie. I also found an easy one over at uh, J Peak last season, you know, just to kind of get back into it, you know, but I'm not doing bumps anymore. No. That, <laughs> oh, man. I'm not doing You're that anymore. You're limiting yourself, man. Oh, I am absolutely limiting myself on bumps me and bumps we do not get along i can tell i i make i tell everybody this is not a joke it was on bear trap it was in the 96 97 season that was the last bump run i did at mount snow and i'm good i've had my fill what are you a groomer guru i am now out around i'm all groomers now baby i don't play around i will cruise all day with everybody i will ski other stuff like i can again joking aside i can do it um but typically i'm just i just like to cruise now man and you know i found that at waterville too man and i i I, that true grit trail i did that and that's a double isn't it yep absolutely Yeah, yeah super wide people underestimate it because they're so used to the steep trails being narrow mm. on the and our our trails here are super super wide and uh it kind of 
it it morphs how how steep they actually are. And most of our steep trails have a rolling contour, yep. so they don't come into that like you know you, if you go to a lot of the steep trails around here, they're only steep for like a couple you know a couple hundred feet off of the catwalk. Yeah, no. Totally. At Waterville, we have these trails. I think Bobby's is something like twelve hundred feet long at at thirty. 32 or 33 degrees average pitch it's sure. crazy how steep that thing will actually go to um but you you ease your way into it you know yeah. so you feel comfortable yeah it's 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 actually a great set of trails and it looks great too from the uh what is that the green valley side if you're going up that green lip peak. green peak green peak where did green valley come from oh my god <laughs> three episodes i've recorded this week and i've made so many bonehead things like that like people are like do you know what you're saying i'm like clearly i don't uh <laughs> I just don't know. I was talking to Carly Bascom the other day talking about riding a pair of snowboards. I was like, wait, you only put on one of those, not two. What the? All right, whatever. But anyway, you're riding up that lift and you look across to these steeps at Waterville. They look fantastic, like very picturesque, very nice to look at. And then nice to ride, too. I did it for the fun of it. And I was there shooting pictures for Rob Dresser with uh, his kids, his uh, freestyle kids. You know, um, he's a coach, and I was shooting yep. pictures for him over there, and uh, watching those kids ski it is ridiculous. But man, it, it's a it's a fun trail. It's nice and wide. It, it's a wonderful time. What did you think of Green Peak? I like it over there, man. I really do. I uh, I was taken over there. I hadn't. It was my first day there, and I was uh, skiing with someone who had been there quite a bit. And he's like, "Come over here." He's like, "For a little while," because he's he, he he's not uh as in great shape either he has physical issues and stuff too um for real ones not just a wuss like me and so we were over there taking it easy for a little while and um man that's a great little area over there i have fun over there in fact yeah, that's what I, love and I, were there. I love to hear that because i get a lot of i get some flack about the fact we didn't put a high-speed quad and it really wasn't the right split, right spot to put the high speed on yeah um, it's on a ridge line so it's going to give wind holds we know that in the master development plan we have a gondola that comes up on the other side so it really turns into a tertiary lift in the development plan. But the main thing is, is that, that that acreage over there can handle a lot more skiers than what that lift can produce. So we end up with groomers all day over there, even on totally. our busy days. We also end up with a lot of our the hardcore fast skiers mm. won't go over there. They're like, I don't want to ride a 13-minute lift line. Yeah. I'm like, that's fine. Don't. Yeah. Please don't. Because I want to have that terrain to myself. Yeah, and totally. that way it feels totally different. It slows you down. It may, it makes you feel like the magics or the whalebacks or the you know the the blacks you know those those core mountains where you you get that time to slow down. You have the conversation with your son. For me, you have a conversation with your son. You you know it's it's the good old fashioned skiing. And it's cool to be able to provide those both of those products at the same mountain. Yeah, you really do get both of those. You can hang out over there if you want to slow it down or if you want to go hit the robot chair over there in the brand new one. You can do that too, man. It, they, Waterville has everything you could want. Um, it's a lot of fun. Again, we didn't really get it, get into the Nordic thing. We, I don't know much about it anyway. It doesn't matter. That's why we had Reese Brown on the program because he knows it all and I know nothing. Um, Doug Fish, again, and it's why we like to talk to people who run these mountains because we learn things. And man, we learned a lot today. Um, we can learn a lot more. Anything else you want to throw out there? It's watervillevalley.com, I assume. Yeah, watervillevalley.com. Come visit us on social, you know, Waterville Resort on on all the sh social media. Uh, we post constantly. You can yep. get content updates, check our webcam, you know, if, and we're very, like you said, we're very true. We're very honest. We try to get out there with the right information. And if you look for it, it will be there for you. 
Excellent, excellent. Well, that's awesome, Tim. Thank you very much for doing this and telling all these great stories. I'm not kidding when I say I will get you back to do something much longer, much more in-depth, and we might even get you some friends to talk to. Maybe we'll get you and John and Danny Allen over there from Black and just have a grand old time, these people. Because we all eventually end up knowing each other. It's very weird. I was talking to Jack McGuirk, who, from the Mountain Report, whom I ran into the day that Tecumseh Express opened. That was odd. He texted me. He's like, dude, I'm at Waterville, too. I'm like, awesome. Where are you? And uh, we had a good long talk there. But, you know, I've made the jokes, you know, just because we're all in the same industry doesn't mean we know each other. Yeah, we kind of do. It's 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 just a whatever it is because we're tight knit. We're small. We have a lot of fun. Anyway, thank you, sir. I really do appreciate it, man. Awesome. Really appreciate your time. I love having these conversations. Great time of the day to talk. Absolutely. Dude. We will do it again. Thank you. Absolutely. There he goes, everybody. Tim Smith holding it down, running Waterville Valley. Really interesting guy. That was a lot of fun, dude. Tell me that one wasn't a lot of fun. You can tell me that if you think that, but I don't know how you could think that because that was a lot of fun, really informative, a lot of good stories. We'll definitely have to do more with Tim Smith. And I'm thinking because of all the stories he has, he knows people with a lot of stories. John Hunt from Whaleback, he has stories. Man, you know what? We're just going to have to get a bunch of these industry folks together on one program and just tell stories. Maybe we'll do a live stream or something and just tell stories for a while. Maybe we can get some guest interaction. I mean, uh, fan interaction, not just guest interaction, but fan interaction. And we'll get more stories, more education, more learning, whatever it is. Man, I think it would be a lot of fun also i don't know if you thought this was fun but i did leave the little biff in during the program when uh tim's microphone uh started picking up the phone instead of working with the computer and it was dead air and we were like oh i lost him and all this and that i thought that was fun to leave it in i i left it in because hey i'm real um and doing it once in a while obviously if it it was anything longer i would have cut it out because that just would have been obnoxious if do you think it was fun do you think this was obnoxious do you think i'm a try hard by leaving stuff in there and trying to be real man i don't know i thought it was fun i thought it was funny um but you can let me know by contacting ski rex media which you could do on ski rex media social media through dm or comments Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, all those good things. Ski Rex Media on all of them. Or you could send me an email, contact at skirexmedia.com. Links are not in the description, but there is a link in the description for the website. And then the website has all the contact information. It might be a two-tap thing for you. But if you just do contact at skirexmedia.com, you can send me an email. And people have been doing that lately with tips and, uh, you know, like talking about Bird's Eye Mountain on the other side of Rutland. Someone sent me an email that that was still on the market. I just doubled that. I can't believe I did that. To be proper, it's someone sent me an email that Bird's Eye Mountain is still on the market. Better? I'm trying to work on being better, everyone. In any case, thank you for listening to the Ski Rex Media Podcast. New episodes continue next week. Who's it going to be? Well, I'm not sure yet. I have an idea or two, but we're going to have a few more industry folks here back to back to back because I am going to um, King Pine and Gunstock for a little bit of a media event for a couple days. We're going to be talking to some people down there. Plus, there'll be stuff on social media from all of that, right? 
right. Thank you for listening to the Ski Mets Media Podcast. I really do hope you enjoy it. Please subscribe. Please follow. Please rate it where you can. Check out the links to Whaleback Mountain in Enfield, New Hampshire, and St. Custom Skis and Snowboards in Gorham, New Hampshire. I'm sure they'll appreciate that. Tell them Tim sent you from Ski Rex Media. And I think that's everything for this week, my friends. We'll see you on the next one. Have a good time out there. Later. Later.